Good morning. Good. Everybody is awake today. Let's go ahead and start by reading our passage in the book of James. Book of James, chapter 1. And uh, we made it last week through verse 12. So we'll continue in verse 13. James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of God, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. When I was a younger man, I enjoyed uh, reading about uh, World War II battles, and I was interested in uh, various characters. One of them, a uh, picture maybe up on the screen, uh, was named uh, Romeo. He was a general in the German army. And uh, Romeo was uh, known as the Desert Fox. The Desert Fox. He fought in uh, North Africa and was um, able to trick his uh, opponents often uh, defeating a larger force with a smaller one. He made them think he was more powerful than them, and they surrendered before really uh, fighting and giving the fight everything they had. And uh, today we're going to talk about another battle. If uh, you were paying close attention to the verses as we read, it is the battle against sin. And uh, sin, like uh, Romo, was, is... Uh, deceitful enemy. And uh, we want to think about how to battle effectively against sin in our lives, and we'll use as much as possible military vocabulary to uh, help us in this battle. So the first key to winning uh, spiritual warfare is uh, to know which side is stronger. Right? You want to be on the stronger side. And there's a danger suggested here by verse 13. It says, let no one, when he is tempted, say, I am tempted by God. Let us not think that God is on the side of sin. That's what it's talking about. Why would we ever think that God is on the side of, thing, of sin? Well, you know, one reason we hinted at is sin is a deceitful, artful enemy, and uh, often we don't think straight when we battle against sin. So that's one reason we could think that. The other is, in the general context of, of James chapter 1, we're talking about going through trials. And in the case of trials, often things are not going my way. I may think, this is the way things should be if I'm a, a young a girl or a young man, sorry, young girl, I mean, marriageable age, <laughs> you know, single woman or single man, 
you know, I might think, you know, very clearly, uh, the Lord should be providing me a husband or the Lord should be providing me with a wife. And uh, the Lord may not do so, at least not within a certain time frame. You had in mind, my uh, wife mentioned to me when she was in college, she and a number of other girls really reached that temptation the last year in college because in college is one of those times you really have an opportunity to interact with a lot of people your age and single people, so your probability of getting married and finding your spouse in, in your years in college is generally much higher. So she and others, uh, other young Christian ladies were reaching that age, their last year in college, still unmarried, and you really start becoming tempted. Well, maybe I need uh, you know, to expand my horizons a little bit. Maybe the person doesn't have to be you know, uh, a born-again believer. Maybe it's okay if they just believe in God or Maybe we'll start searching wider beyond that point and start leaving the grounds of safety which God has for us in his word, really departing into sin. And you might say, well, you know, it's God that's tempting me because of the circumstances. If God didn't want me to sin, well, he'll be providing me a husband or he'll be providing me a wife. And um, I know for me, often it doesn't need to be that big of a, of a temptation. It could be simply having a headache, <laughs> You know, or, you know, having a hard time sleeping at night and feeling, well, you know, you know, things are going bad, you know, I'm having a hard time, I'll go and do something I shouldn't do. Watch on the computer something I shouldn't be watching or uh, do something that I shouldn't be doing. And we could, because it's because of the circumstances I am in, I'm effectively pointing to God and saying it's God that is tempting me to sin. Now, but the first thing we need to do is get our theology straight. And James does it immediately by saying, God cannot be tempted by evil. Sin is always abhorring to God. And because of that, God will never tempt you to do evil because sin is abhorring to God. So any kind of temptation you have to sin does not come from God. Well, the good news with that, it means that um, in your battle against sin, you are on the winning side. You have the power of God behind you to resist sin. One of the first verses I memorized, maybe the very first verse I memorized in the Bible, is uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, so often, whenever you are in a, in a trial or a temptation, there's something suggesting sin. Remember this verse and the fact that God is not going to allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. Remember, Rommel would go up to a, a, a fortress of the enemy and attack it with all the power he had unexpectedly, and they would think, boy, he has this great power, you know, we might as well surrender. Well, the truth is, they just needed to hold out until the light of day, and they would have seen they had the greater power, or perhaps just wait until reinforcement arrived. And that's what we need to do when we're under temptation. Know that you are on the winning side, and you may just need to hold out and say, you know, I'm being tempted, but I'm not going to do it. I know that God has made a way for me to escape this temptation, and I can bear through it. So, hold out, don't give in to sin. So that was the first advice, know which 
Sight has the superior force. <coughs> you, or against sin, is the superior force. The second, if you want to win the battle against sin, is know where the attack will come from. Know where the attack will come from. And uh, the answer for that is for us in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. From where does the desire to sin come from? From inside you. It says, uh, Jesus said this, Mark seven twenty-one through 22, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Think of a castle where you think that you're safe from the enemy, but the problem is the enemy is already within. The enemy is inside. It's within me that the desire to do evil things come. But by knowing that that is where the attack will come from, I can resist against it. I know that it's out of me that the desire to sin will come. I shouldn't be surprised. Wherever I'm going, there will be temptation because I carry it with me. Now, the good news is that we can prepare against the attack. Uh, James continues and he says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So, the desire itself isn't the sin. I carry with me a sinful nature. And... Uh, Everybody has their own weaknesses. Uh, for me, before I was a believer, uh, I was addicted to pornography. So that's one of my weaknesses, is, is pictures and things of uh, women that are scantily clad. And uh, I might pass by uh, the checker in the grocery store, and there'll be magazines and pictures in the magazines that would be tempting to me. And uh, as I wander by, I may glance and realize what it is and turn my eyes away, I haven't yet fallen into sin. It's the second look that is falling into sin. You know where the temptation is, and you choose to fulfill that desire that you have for what God does not want you to have. That is where sin happens. Now, if you know what the attack is, and uh, you know uh, that it's possible to resist sin, how do you prepare against it? You don't want to get to the point of uh, the temptation and then have to wage the battle. You want to fortify yourself. If you're in, in, in war, there's a lot of advantage, advantage for entrenching before the enemy has arrived. How can we entrench before the temptation is there? And uh, <clears throat> the first one that, uh, that you can do, should do, is you should remove opportunities for the temptation. It's understandable when I'm going through the grocery store that there will be temptations. They're waiting for me at the checker stand. You know, I can't really do much about it, but there's no reason why I should have the same magazines at home. That will be asking for trouble. Uh, one of my uh, sins, uh, one of the things I used to stumble into... I, Again, I was addicted to before being saved, but even after being saved, we have temptation to stumble into the same sin, was uh, 
computer games. I was spending hour after hour playing computer games. My wife could testify you know, to how many hours I wasted doing it, especially before being saved. And uh, one of the things I learned, I cannot have the computer game on my computer. If I do and think that I can resist the temptation, I'm deceiving myself. It's going to come again. And once again, I'll be locked in front of it and spending my hours doing what I shouldn't be doing. Get rid of the computer game. If you have a problem with alcohol, you know, don't keep a six-pack in your refrigerator. It's not going to help you against your temptation. So prepare. Do what you can to eliminate the temptation uh, that you're being exposed to. Uh, second one, Jesus taught us to pray when his disciples asked him to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And the last part of the Lord's Prayer, uh, he says this. He teaches us to pray this. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And uh, uh, Bill uh, explained it this way. <clears throat> when you pray, ask God that the desire to sin, right, because we have desires to sin, and the opportunity to sin will not happen at the same time. That the desire to sin and the opportunity for sin will not happen at the same time. We need help from God against our temptation. If you think of the other things the Lord asks for, us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer, there are things like, give us this day my daily food. How often should you pray that? Every day. You know, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, other, as we forgive others those trespasses against us. How often should you pray that? Every day, if you're like me. How often should you pray to ask God to help you against temptation? Every day, you're going to need his help. And I should confess, I don't. I don't pray as often as I should. And... Uh, that could be the key for victory is continually asking the Lord to help you, not relying on your own strength in the battle against sin. Another help we, uh, we have for us, uh, Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, that was another one of the early verses I memorized. That one was actually part of Memorizing all of Psalm 119, Bill gave that uh, challenge. And um, Psalm 119, for those of you who don't know, is the longest chapter in the Bible, I believe 168 verses or so. May <clears throat> be off by 10 or so. But uh, that kind of taught me, gave me an idea of how much I could memorize. If I set my mind on memorizing the Word of God, if I'm willing to regularly spend, whatever it is, 10 minutes a day working and memorizing verses, and you build it up over time, you could really memorize quite a bit of God's word. And uh, that kind of started me up on my next challenge after that was memorizing uh, the book of Romans, which again was, was uh, you know, quite a challenge, but a great blessing for me as I completed it. It took me years. And uh, then as I got married and uh, had kids, I said, I don't have time anymore. I can't spend the 10 minutes a day or whatever it takes to memorize verses. And I really put aside memory work for many years. And I was challenged last year when uh, Don brought up, you know, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. We're going to go real slow so you can memorize, you know, with us as we go through the book. And I said, well, why not? 
And I found, well, I can squeeze it in. I can do some work in my car uh, as I'm driving. I can do some work doing breaks at work, go on a walk. It's you know, supposed to be healthy to take a break from your job and, and take a 10-minute walk. Well, I can do it with my uh, you know, pocket Bible, or if you have a smartphone, with your smartphone. And you can memorize verses day by day. And uh, that was really a great blessing for me because as you're memorizing the Word of God, you're really spending time with the Lord. And that's the key. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous ran to it and are safe. And as you're memorizing the Word of God, you're really spending time with the Lord. As you're taking His Word in, you're close to Him. And uh, that really becomes the key for power against sin. The Lord hates sin, and He is powerful. The closer you are to the Lord, the more power you will find in your life against sin. So memorizing the Word of God, excellent way to fortify against sin. Try it sometimes. And the last one is related to it. In Romans 6.13, it says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It, it presents your body there as an opportunity. You could either present it to sin, for sin to do with it what it wants, I don't mean that that side of the room is sinful. Or you can present it, you know, to God and to righteousness and to do the things that God pleases. It doesn't seem to give you much room in the middle. And what that means, if you are not busy for God and involved in ministry and work for God, you will find that you'll end up doing the things that God does not want you to do. You just don't really have that option. It's one or the other. Either be busy for the Lord or you'll find yourself getting involved with sin. Uh, there's a saying that says, idle hands are the tools of the devil. An idle mind is the playground of the devil. So don't be idle. Be busy for the Lord. Okay, uh, so keys, keys for victory so far we covered. Know which side has the superior force. That's God against sin. Know where the attack is coming from. It's your own desire. It's from within. Uh, fortify, prepare against the attack. We talked about that. Uh, the next key is know the consequence of defeat. We talked about the deceitfulness of sin. I, I was getting it from uh, Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, and nowhere is the deceitfulness of sin more powerful than convincing you that when you sin, you will have happiness, satisfaction, joy. Just do this little thing that you know you shouldn't do, and you'll feel better inside. And how many times I listened to that voice and was disappointed. <laughs> and that's what this, this verse uh, tells us in James. 1, 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We are fooled when we think that uh, joy might come from committing uh, a sin or from anything else really we get in this world. There's one source for joy, and we're told that 
and uh, I think it's Psalm 16. I didn't write the reference, but I wrote the words, so just listen. It says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. So really, joy comes from being in the presence of God. It's really God that's the source of joy. And when we sin against God, we lose that connection with God. Now, I need to be a little bit careful as I say it. I do not lose my relationship with God. Now, let me also go ahead and back up. Everything I've said here really applies to believers. And I apologize if, if you're not a believer, you're kind of listening on the outside. But uh, when you are saved, your relationship with God is restored. And you can enjoy having a relationship with God. Now, that, cannot, that relationship cannot be broken. I have a son. His name is Joey. And uh, you know, he loves hanging out with me. Uh, story, I may have told it before, but I, it was during, uh, it was during uh, the Long's wedding when I was the best man, and uh, my wife explained to my son, Joy, that, you know, Daddy is going to be the best man. That's why he's not going to be sitting with us. And he said, my dad is the best man ever. <laughs> so, you know, he loves me. He loves being with me. But... Uh, when he disobeys me, he stays my son. He's, he's still my son. He doesn't lose the relationship, but he loses the enjoyment of that relationship. All of a sudden, I'm not the best man anymore. <laughs> and the same thing happens, happens in our relationship with God. We don't lose the relationship, but this is what First John chapter 1 says, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all Sin. So fellowship with God is conditional on walking in the light as God is in the light. And if I depart from the light, which is what happened when I choose to sin, I lose that fellowship with God. And with that fellowship, I lose joy. And uh, that's been my experience. Every time I sin, it looks so good on the tree, but you take it. And all of a sudden, you're not a happy camper anymore. All of a sudden, there's a loss of joy. There's shame. There's guilt. And uh, that's always the consequence of sin. So one of the keys for, for uh, fighting against sin is remembering it's never going to make you happy. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the deceitfulness of sin that you'll be satisfied if you do it. Your fellowship with God is your only true source of joy. And uh, sometimes... I think we hurt ourselves because we don't enjoy our fellowship with God as we should. If we walk closer with the Lord and we enjoyed fellowship with Him more, there will be less temptation for sin as well. Okay. Uh, last last uh, 
three verses we have in the passage. I titled, Things to Keep in Mind When All Seems Lost. Things to Keep in Mind When All Things Lost. So, again, going to the illustration of a battle. We battle against sin. And uh, in the context of James chapter 1, there is a trial that uh, the believer might be going through. And in trials, things can look really dark. I've just started reading through the book of Job. And uh, it's incredible to think of the, the trial that Job was going through. He loses all of his uh, property, all of his wealth. His servants are killed. His children are killed. Uh, he loses his health. His body gets covered with uh, sores. It's literally... Uh, warm infested. On top of it, uh, his wife, which up to that point seemed to be a good and faithful wife, is uh, departing from the Lord herself, saying that he himself should curse God and die. And his friends that are supposed to comfort him come and tell him, Job, you must have sinned, and that's why all these bad things are happening to him. So he was going through this terrible trial, and it's not clear in the scripture how long this was, but it was days or weeks or months. And I can imagine Job or maybe you in the audience going through a trial that just seems to be above your head. And, uh, you know, it seems that the temptation to sin is just too strong. And uh, here's, here's a, a couple of things to remember uh, to help us during that time. So in verse 16, uh, there's a reminder of the danger of being deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Stand God, sin will try to deceive you. But then he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Remember that God is still there. It would be really easy for someone in the place of Job to say, where's the Lord? And in fact, Job is wondering, what's going on here? He knew he didn't sin. He didn't do anything deserving of uh, what happened to him. And he was wondering, where is God in this situation? Why is this happening to me? I want to talk to him. I want him to explain to me what's happening. And when we go in a deep trial, there can be the same thing. Where is God in this situation? And what James is doing is reminding us that God is still there and God is still good. An analogy that people often use is the sun. The sun is in the sky, but sometimes something comes between you and the sun, a thick cover of clouds. And it's like the sun is not there anymore, but the sun is still there and the sun is still good. And in the same way, God is still there and God is still good in spite of the trials you're going through. And uh, <clears throat> we're reminded in, in the earlier verses in James as John covered last time, that even in the midst of trials, God has a good purpose for us. It said, if we uh, just go back to verse uh, 2, James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. God is using trials in our lives to make us perfect, to make us complete. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that God is trying to do in our lives is make us more like the Lord Jesus. He is at work in our lives. 
as, as much as we would like him to do that work uh, in an easy, comfortable fashion, it doesn't work that way. And the only way that God can work in our lives and bring patience is through trials, allowing trials to come into our lives and work patience. Uh, another good purpose that God has in trials is uh, suggested in verse 12, where it said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Uh, in the book of Job, we, we are given a little bit of a, of a what's behind the sin picture before the trial of Job starts, and uh, Satan comes to God, or God has some sort of an assembly of spiritual beings that Satan enters, and God points to Job as the perfect man, or the righteous man that is on the earth, the best of the best that the earth has to offer. And Job says, and Satan says something like this, is it for nothing that Job fears you and does what you want him to do? You're blessing him, you're giving him all this good stuff. Nope, it's not surprising that, that, God, that Job is doing what you want him to do. He's doing it out of selfish motives. He doesn't really love you. He's doing all that for himself. And that's when God permits the trial. And he says, fine, you know, he's in your hand. Just spare his life. And Satan does everything he can to Job, but he cannot get Job to sin. And it showed that Job truly believed in God. He truly loved God. And that's what it means <clears throat> when it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved. It's proven when in the midst of trial... You're willing to hold on to the Lord and trust the Lord and love the Lord. That's when it's evidence to be real. You're not just doing it because God is good to you. You're doing it because you really love the Lord. And without a trial, you will never get that opportunity. If God did not allow trials to come your way, everything was good all the time, there would be no way for you to demonstrate that you really love God. It's only in times of trials. And that's why... It says that that person will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. God wants to reward us. He wants to give us special rewards that he can only give to us when we demonstrate a love outside of the context of his love. I mean, if we just love him, you know, when he's showering us with blessing, we get no special reward. If we love him, when everything goes wrong, then God wants to reward us for it. And the trials are an opportunity. So even in the midst of trial, God is there, even if sometimes we don't sense him, and he has a good purpose for the trial he allowed to come upon us. So, key things, when things look dark, all look lost, remember, God is still there. He still has his good purposes in it. The final thing to remember is that we know how the story Ends. We know how the story ends. In verse 18, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So we've been saved by God. And uh, that's what it means when he talks about of his own will he brought us forth. He talks about being born again. We were given a new life by God. It's a work that God has already done in us uh, by the word of truth. It was by believing the gospel that we were saved. 
But God had a purpose in saving us. And uh, sometimes it may be helpful to kind of stop back and realize in all of this universe, in all this creation, God had a purpose. And we can find that purpose if we turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. So God has a purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. We talked about that. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And that's the purpose that God created the universe is found in the last phrase of that verse. That he, or Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. I remember when I was being discipled by Rick, I asked him about that. What's the purpose? Actually, it may have been before the discipleship actually started, but I was meeting with Rick. Ask him, why did God create the universe? If there is a God, why did God create the whole universe? And uh, this is the answer that's, that uh, you could provide for that question. God is so delighted in his son, the Lord Jesus, that he wanted to populate heaven with people just like him. God is so delighted with the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. That's why he could look down from heaven and say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is so wonderful that God wanted to populate heaven with beings like him. If you want to know who those beings are, look to your left and look to your right because they're sitting in this room. You are the very purpose that God created the universe so that you will one day be just like the Lord Jesus in heaven. And um, when you battle against sin and all looks dark, remember that the end of the story is already written. You will be in heaven and be like the Lord Jesus because that is why God created the universe. And you are part of his plan. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we uh, confess that uh, we are not deserving of the grace that uh, you have shown to us. And yet we know that uh, you have loved us before this world has begun and that uh, you planned for us to come to know you and through knowing you, to one day be with you forever in heaven and be just like you. And uh, we recognize from our experience and also from your word that uh, in this world we battle against sin and sin seeks to uh, separate us from you, from the fellowship that we can have in you and from the usefulness we can be uh, to you and from the joy that we can have in you and you can have in us. Lord, as you taught us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, give us victory every 
against sin every day that we might uh, be and continue to be the joy of your heart, that you might be able to even look from heaven at us today and be able to say that uh, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.